thank you this morning that your name is powerful. Lord, we thank you. Your name is above every name. Lord, we thank you this morning that we stand in your presence, not with our heads held in shame, but we can come boldly to you because you gave your life for us. You were the bridge between us and God that we could freely enter his presence. And today, Lord, we want to say thank you for this wonderful life that we found in you. There's nothing like it. And everyone said, amen. Well, it is good to see you this morning. It's great to be able to come to church together on a sunny morning as well, which is awesome. And looking forward to just sharing the word of God with you today. And we're just going to continue on the series that Dave started a few weeks ago on our new life in Christ. I want us just to begin by thinking. Think of this. If we were, remove, if we were to remove a head coach, a team would flounder. If we were to break the line on a fuel, a fuel line, the car wouldn't start. And if we were to disconnect a plug from an electrical appliance, there'd be no power. In our lives, for leadership, for direction, for power, and just the ability to live, connections are so important. And we're going to study this over the next two weeks as we look through the book of Colossians together. And we see how Paul, through Colossians, begins to expand more on our new life in Christ. What we can say really about the book of Colossians is that it's a book of connections. We're connected to God through our faith in Jesus Christ and as a result we have eternal life. And it's through keeping that connection that we have the power to live. So we're going to be looking and exploring about the connections that we have that are vital for us as we grow in this new life. You know, God's plan for us is for us to be conformed to his image. His plan for us is to become complete and mature. His plan for us is to grow into all of the fullness and understand everything that he has provided for us in and through Christ Jesus. And this is an amazing journey that we're on. And we should be so excited about it because this journey, it's like it lasts for the rest of our lifetime. Have you ever thought that we're never going to arrive concerning the things of God. It's not like we do five years in university concerning God and then we've got it all together. No, this is a progressive journey that takes us a lifetime as we begin to explore more and more about him. And the thing is with God, well, there's always more to explore. There's always more to grow in. And that's an exciting journey that you and I as believers in Jesus have. And God so wants us to be able to live the full life that he's provided for us in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at this book of Colossians together, written by the Apostle Paul. And it's really quite interesting because Paul's letter to the Colossians is quite different to the letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. 
When Paul wrote Corinthians, he commended the, the church at Corinth for their great knowledge, their skills and ability, but he had to bring direction and instruction because there was no love in their lives. And yet, to the church in Colossae, he actually commends them for the love that they have for one another, but he has to bring guidance because they're lacking knowledge. So two different churches experiencing two very different things. The church in Colossae, it was actually founded by a guy called Epaphras. And he was a convert of Paul's. When Paul was in Ephesus, Epaphras came to faith. And it says the gospel went out everywhere. And Epaphras actually set up and founded this church in Colossae. Paul had never visited there. He'd never met these Christians. But Epaphras would let him know how things were going. And what was very evident in this church is that they had a real encounter with Jesus. The power of God had changed their lives and transformed them. And they were living a new life as a result of the message of the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 4 about this church in Colossae. He says this, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people who come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You've learned from the, about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. We read that and we see that the good news of the gospel had changed people's lives here in Colossae. We see that the Holy Spirit was living in them. The love of God that was shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit was being practically outworked in their lives in the way that they loved one another through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet despite this great work that had begun in their lives, Paul actually says that things were missing. You see, in Colossae, they had very few gifted believers to be able to teach them concerning the things of Christ. And as a result, they lacked a solid foundation. Like I said, Paul had never been there before. Paul had not founded this church, Epaphras had. But he had heard and communicated with Epaphras and he was being told that their lack of knowledge concerning the true riches of, their, um, of what happened through the gospel was causing them to be led into error. So when Paul begins to write Colossians, 
He really has to outline some key foundational doctrines for the church here in Colossae. He needs to begin to establish who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, and what that means to us as believers. Many scholars believe that the book of Colossians is probably one of Paul's most profound letters and most important letters. It's only four chapters long, but what he discusses in there is so important. And you know what? I would really encourage you, if you've not read Colossians before, I'd really encourage you to read the book of Colossians. In fact, we're going to be looking at it next week. So I'm going to set you some homework. Why don't you this week take time to read the four chapters of Colossians so you're on the page. We're on the page together as we continue studying it next week. Four chapters that Paul is able to clearly outline key doctrine that's foundational to all of our lives as we move forward in our relationship with Christ Jesus. And not only does he outline key doctrines, he also shows us how this practically then works out in our lives. How should we live? How do we treat one another? How do we allow our walk to be completely in line with the will of God for our lives? So that we can grow into maturity and completeness in him. It's a really powerful book. And the background for this church in Colossae is interesting. It wasn't a huge church. It was um, a city about 100 miles east of Ephesus. But it was a big trading center. And as a result of that, it was like a crossroads from people from all different walks of life, different countries, different cultures. So as a result, it was a crossroads for ideas and philosophies and religions. And that was the big problem for this church here in Colossae, because teachings were circulating that combined ideas from other religions and other philosophies. Teachings that were deceptive because within them, they held Jewish legalism. Within them, they held Eastern philosophy. They also had pagan astrology involved in them. There was mysticism and there was a little bit of a hint of Christianity there as well. And in these teachings, you could almost say it was a smorgasbord. There was something for everyone. And that's what made it so dangerous. And the, those that were teaching these things, they would say things like this, we're not denying Christ, we're just lifting it to a higher level. We're just lifting it to a higher level. So within these false teachings, you would see things like self-made rules, formulas, severe disciplines for the body, and beginning to take part in rituals. And the teachings denied the power and the truth of the gospel. They believed you needed special knowledge to be accepted by God. And their teachings denied that Christ alone was the way for salvation. And the sad thing here was that the believers were beginning to believe these messages and they were moving away from the heart of the gospel. 
despite the fact that they'd received Jesus, despite the fact that they'd received salvation and their lives had been transformed because they were listening to all of these messages going along, they were finding themselves walking in error, walking on the wrong path. They were listening to the wrong message by the wrong people and it was causing them to have problems. And so when Paul writes his letter, he has to really combat the teaching that had infiltrated the church here in Colossae. He really had to establish the church in the key truths of the gospel. And I was thinking about that and thinking about that. How does that look where, where we are today? Can we draw any comparisons to the culture in which the believers in Colossae were to where we are today? And I believe we can. And do you know what I believe we could begin to question of ourselves? Is I believe we can begin to question and ask ourselves, what are our connections? What do they look like? Because we are living in a similar time to the Colossian church. There's lots of different voices in our culture that are quite prolific in explaining their ideas and their views concerning life. And if we're not careful, we, we will end up being influenced by these voices because whatever you give your ear to, those are the things that begin to influence us. And those are the things that can begin to change or formulate our ideas and our beliefs. They can begin to shape them. And the reality is the culture in which we live is going in an opposite direction to the path that's led out for us as believers in Christ Jesus. You know, for where we are today, many people confidently assert that the answers to life are held within. I don't need to, to, to submit to God. No, the answers to life are held within. They, we rely on our own insights and experiences. Discoveries on the internet, for which it's prolific, and our own gut reaction. This is the culture in which we live in. This is what propels us. And we believe, many people believe, that our gut reaction will tell us what to do, will tell us the way that's right to live. We live in a culture where there's no moral absolutes anymore. We live in a culture that's filled with relative truth. So if it feels right to me, then it's right. But it may not feel right to you, and that's okay. We've got to embrace everything. We live in a culture that's like, well, I'll, I feel this today, so I'm going to do this. But in six months' time, I may not feel that. But hey, that's okay. It's relative truth. It's how I feel on the day. And this is the culture that we live in. And this is what's happening day in, day out. These are the voices that we are receiving input from as a culture day in, day out. Allow our gut to tell us what to do. Yeah, let's try this. It'll be fine. Oh, no, I didn't like that. Well, we'll go here. We'll find the answers to life here. And many people feel that God is so irrelevant. They would never think to look to God and to Jesus and to the Bible for their direction for their lives. And what we've got to be careful of as believers 
is that we don't allow our ideas about the Bible to become muddied by the philosophies and teachings of the world in which we live. And the only way that we can make sure that our ideas of the way that we should live are not muddied is by really knowing what the Bible says. See, this was the problem in Colossae. They knew bits of the Bible, but they didn't know a lot about it. So when they heard bits of the Christian message woven into other ideas and philosophies, they were like, hey, well, this sounds okay. Yeah, I've heard about this. This must be all right. And that's the danger with ignorance, is that we can become very accepting of everything because we hear a little bit, but what ends up happening is our lives end up being led into error, and we end up finding ourselves experiencing a whole lot of problems that God never intended for us to experience. So this morning, we're going to look through the book of Colossians at a prayer that Paul prayed for this church. Like I said, the transformation in this church was amazing. They had a real experience of God. They'd received salvation. The Holy Spirit was living and working in their lives. And so Paul wants to outline the next steps for them to help lead them to a path where they would grow in maturity and in completeness in Christ Jesus. And we can take note of this for our lives because God wants to give us clear direction for our lives and Paul in this prayer outlines to us as Christians what should be really important to us. Have you ever wondered what should be important to me as a Christian? Well in this prayer we'll see that Paul outlines how we should live and what should be important to us as followers of Jesus. Because Christ doesn't want to just come in and transform our hearts through salvation. Jesus also wants to come in and transform our minds so that we can live and walk in his new way of life for us. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 13. He says this, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. When we found Jesus, we were taken and transformed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his own son. So we now live in a different kingdom that has different rules, different ways of thinking. Everything is different about it. The way in which we will live will look completely different to the way that we used to live. You know, at the moment, I absolutely love France. I don't know what it is. I get so excited about France. I love watching Chateau programs, people doing them up. I just love it. And I love reading books about people that have gone to move to France. And what's really evident is I've read books about this, is that even though it's only across the water, 30 minutes on the Eurotunnel, life is so different in this new country for them. Things do not look the way that they look like in Britain. Legislation is different. Culture is different. Language is different. Food is different. The way education is set up is different. The way that you access medical support is different. Everything is different. And for the people that choose to move to France, 
They have to find out what this new culture is going to look like if they are going to settle well in that land. If they are going to live a life which they will enjoy, they need to find out how this varies from Britain so that they can settle well. And do you know what? It's the same for us as believers. We've been taken from one kingdom and taken into another kingdom. So how can we live well in our new kingdom if we don't know about it? So Paul here in his message shares, we need to find out what this kingdom of God's son looks like. What is the new country that we've been placed into? This new destination that we found as a result of asking Jesus into our lives. So Paul prays this prayer in Colossians 1. And he says this, verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since, um, since, first we, since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So what is the thing that should be important to us as Christians? What is the thing that should be important to us? What is the thing that we should be looking and striving after? Well, Paul says here that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will. In the New King James Version, verse 9 says this, We ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is the foundation from which we are to grow and flourish to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Our hearts have been changed by salvation and now our minds need to be transformed. We need to know how this looks for us. God wants us to know about him. He wants us to know more about him, who he is. And so we're gonna look at this little verse together today. I love when reading this, that Paul uses language, the language of filled. I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. What a word, filled. When we think about that word, for me, it's a number of different analogies that actually come from this word filled. To be filled is to be like filled to the top, isn't it? It's to be filled to the top and brimming over. Do you notice Paul doesn't say, I pray that you'll just have enough knowledge about the will of God. No, Paul's not saying that. He said, no, let you be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. He wants us to absolutely have it to the top and brimming over. Another way that you could describe this word filled, another analogy would be to describe a ship that's setting sail and ready to go on a voyage. As believers in Christ, it's like that ship needs to be filled with all of the supplies that it needs, all of the equipment that it needs, so that it can journey well. For us, God's heart for us is that we are filled to the full, that we have got enough resource in us to lead us well into the journey of life that we are navigating. And we're quite used to being filled, aren't we? 
When I think of the word filled, I think of food. Got to be said, I think of food. When I'm hungry, I do not eat enough to take the edge off my hunger. I eat so that I'm full. When I sit down for a meal, I sit down to eat to be full, to be satisfied by the meal that I'm going to eat. And when I first experienced my all you, first all-you-can-eat buffet, when I was a teenager and my mum took me to Cardiff and we went to Pizza Hut and ate all-you-can-eat buffet, I tell you, I was just extravagant. I could not believe how much I was able to eat. To the point, I ate so much that I struggled to walk out of Pizza Hut on, um, in St. Mary Street, I think, and we had to abort the shopping trip because I couldn't walk. My mum had to take me back to the Carla, we had to go home because I'd eaten so much pizza. So I know what the feeling of filled looks like. You know what the feeling of filled looks like. Yet Paul mentions the word filled, and do you know why I think he does? I think he understands. We understand what it's like to be food and um, to be filled with food. But I think he says this because he understands sometimes that fullness doesn't translate into our spiritual life. Sometimes we're happy to snack at the table and then go running off to play, thinking that maybe the odd verse here or there is going to be enough to sustain us for the life that we're going to lead. So Paul's kind of saying, listen, you know what it's like to be filled. We never have to put ourselves on a self-inflicted spiritual diet. And often we do. Often we just go back snacking and we wonder why we struggle and we wonder why we trip over and we wonder why we run out of steam halfway through and we wonder why we're overwhelmed and we're like, God, what's going on? Well, actually, the table's been set before us and it's a banquet. But perhaps we need to look for ourselves and say, am I eating till I'm filled? Or am I snacking and running away? And sometimes we snack and run away and then we head off to another table. And we start eating off that. But God for us says no. He doesn't want us snacking at different tables. He wants us to sit at his banqueting table and he wants us to eat until we are full. He wants us to eat until we're full to the top and to the brim. Not just half full. Not just enough to take the edge off our appetite, but full. So what are we to be filled with? Well, the Bible says we'll be to, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then the Greek, there's two words for the word knowledge. There's the word gnosis, which is intellectual knowledge. But here in this, this is not the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about. The word knowledge here in this verse is the word epinosis which is an intimate, personal knowledge. 
Not just head knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge. God isn't asking us to be filled so that we've got it all stored in our head. We can regurgitate the Bible to other people. We can tell them all the stuff that we've learned. No, he's not asking us to be intellectually filled with that knowledge. He's saying, no, the knowledge of his will that he wants us to be filled with is a personal, intimate knowledge. It's a knowledge that permeates through into our very being touching our hearts, touching our minds, touching our spirits. It's the knowledge that we receive that doesn't just remain in our head, but it becomes evident in the way that we walk. It's knowledge that translates into the way that we do life. It's knowledge that translates through the power of the Holy Spirit to control the way that which we live. And it's powerful. God's not looking for us to be little Einsteins with these big minds full of knowledge, but we're empty and deflated and people look at us and think, is that what Christianity is about? They haven't changed at all. They just know a lot, but they live exactly the way they used to live. No, this knowledge is not for us to point to other people and tell them what they should be doing differently. This knowledge of the will of God changes us. It changes the way in which we live. And Paul says that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding enables us to take what we read from the word of God and walk it through, translate it into our lives. It empowers us to live this life. He doesn't want us to be filled with a whole lot of information. He wants us to live out this new life that we found in Christ. It'll affect your relationships. It'll affect where you work. It will affect the way we treat people. It affects everything. This knowledge of the will of God affects everything about our lives. The false teachings of that day, they valued head knowledge. But Paul was clearly saying, head knowledge will lead you to a dead end. If knowledge doesn't transform and change the way we do things, what is the point? This power that's within us is there to change us, transform us, make our journey so different because we're found in Christ Jesus. And this word knowledge has um, the meaning and carries the meaning of it being full knowledge. God's knowledge, the knowledge of his will is not limited. It's not like, oh, within a month, if I do this, I'll have found it all out. No, it's unlimited. This knowledge, we will continue discovering it for all of our days until Jesus takes us and we return to him in heaven. We will always be able to grow and be filled with the knowledge of his will. We never graduate from it. So how do we know God's will? Like I said, our culture would say, well, everything I have is within. So I'll just rely on my conscience. Can I just say in that, we're on dangerous ground if we think that our conscience is going to lead us in all the right paths. Now, God has given us a conscience, and our conscience is very powerful. But if we don't think right about a certain situation, we can't live differently to it. We have to know the right way to live in order to live it. So if we're relying on conscience, 
to be able to direct us. We're on dangerous ground. The Bible doesn't say that we'll be able to understand the will of God through relying on our conscience. But no, the will of God is revealed through his word. So if we want authority for the way in which we're to live our lives day to day, we go to the word of God. That is the thing that will show us how to live. And the Holy Spirit will enable us to live in that way. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this about God's word. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The word of God is the be all and the end of where we need to go. We don't need to be scouting in libraries to find things. God doesn't just give us a little bit and say, here's a scroll with a tad bit of information. Do that and then I'll release some more to you. No, the word of God actually reveals everything about his will for our lives and everything that we have need of is contained in the word of God. It reveals his will it reveals his character it reveals his plans and his purposes for us and we've just got to make a choice to say I'm not going to go to other places I'm going to go to the word of God because that is the only place in which I'm going to discover the will of God and when I discover the will of God that's when I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to live his will so we've got to take time we're like a microwave culture, aren't we? We just like stuff really quick. But actually, do you know what? Concerning our lives in God, there's nothing microwave about it. We need to take time to study. We need to take time to find out what the word of God says for our lives. And do you know what a really important aspect has been for me since growing up as a teenager? Not only do I read the word, but I found it really helpful to memorize scripture too. When we memorize scripture, it's like you're able, you're like, you're able to kind of um, handle situations because you know the answer. So I want to encourage you to memorize scripture. If you've never memorized scripture before, you're used to sitting exams, you're used to how to do things. It just takes a little bit of time, it just takes a little bit of engagement. But do you know what? There's nothing more powerful than memorizing what the will of God is for our lives memorizing what his word is for a situation. I remember the first um, chapter of uh, the Bible that I chose to memorize was Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my strength, my strong tower. In him I will lean and rely and in him I will confidently trust. And it goes on. I learnt that when I was probably about 15. I then went on to memorise James, um, James 1. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce patience. And let patience have his perfect work, that you will be complete and whole, lacking nothing. And I can remember just taking those key truths of the word of God and saying, I want to learn them. 
I want to learn them. I want to memorize them. It's great that we've got Google. It's great that we've got phones. It's great that if we're in a situation, we can quickly say, what does the word of God say? But do you know what? There's nothing like being a student of the word of God where you actually take time to memorize it because we can only do what we remember. So if we don't remember what the word of God says about things, how can we act it out if we're not sure? And this is what was happening in the church of Colossae. They just weren't sure. They knew a lot about what Jesus had done, but they just weren't sure of the facts. And because of that, they were tossed back and forth and they were prone to be receiving a whole lot of mixed messages that were leading them into error. So the will of God contained in his word is so important. And to be a student of his word, I encourage all of us to maybe take time to memorize scripture, to take time to memorize those things because those will lead to a fruitful life. So I said at the beginning of this message that Colossians is a book about connection. Through our faith in Jesus, we are connected and have eternal life. And as we move through this life, our connection with him will give us the power in which to live. And when we look at this, um, um, this prayer in Colossians, in verses 9 and 10, we see there's almost two dimensions to this prayer. The first bit, as we've discussed, is that we would be filled with the knowledge of the will, his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And we've, we've briefly covered that. It then goes on to actually give us, in verse 10, the reason why we do all of this. Verse 10 says this, Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your life will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Wow. That's the reason. Our lives are to honor him. Our lives are to please him. Our lives are to produce fruit. And our lives are to grow. Honor, please, produce fruit and grow. Have you ever wondered what your purpose is in life? Our purpose in life is to please the Father. I can remember as a teenager when my friends would say, oh, what's your purpose? And I literally was like, I just want to walk each day in a way that would be pleasing unto him. I just want to do that. Do I get it right all the time? No, nobody will. But I want to live because I love him so much. I want to live in a way that would be pleasing to him. And living a life that is pleasing to him is not so that we can earn his love. So this is not about us stepping into works here. Because we can't do anything to earn his love because he loved us first. He loved us before we ever loved him. So this is not about living a pleasing life to kick and tick off brownie points to get to the top of the class with Jesus. We're already at the top of the class with him. We've found faultness and blameless in this sight. No, this is to do with, I love you so much, Jesus, that I want my life to be lived in a way that will be pleasing to you. You know what that's like. If you've ever loved somebody, you want to do things to please them. 
I've gone on bike rides with Dave, admittedly they're limited. I've experienced saddle sore, not because I wanted to go on a bike ride necessarily, but it pleases Dave and I want to do things that please him. But we all know what it's like to want to please somebody, but there's no greater purpose, is there, than to wake up every day and say, Jesus, today I want to please you. I want to please you through the way that I treat people. I want to please you through my heart's devotion towards you. I want to live a life that would honor you. I want to live a life that be representative of all that you've given for me. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And what I love about this life that we're called to live is we've got the example of Jesus to follow. The Bible says that God said of his son after he was baptized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God was pleased with his son. Jesus said that he did not come to fulfill his own will, but to fulfill the will of the Lord. He walked in obedience with God and his heart was to do what God wanted. He said, I do not say anything unless my father says to do it. Say it. I do not do anything unless my father wills me to do it. Jesus walked in close connection with God. And he walked in close connection with God. And how did he live? Well, the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he walked with God, dependent on the Holy Spirit, day by day for his life. Do you know that same Holy Spirit lives in us? Listen to what Philippians 2, verse 13 says. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. When we receive new life, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And it's actually him inside of us that causes us to want to live a life that would be pleasing to God. Now, how can we live a life that's pleasing to God if we don't know what pleases him? And that's why we've got to not be ignorant concerning the will of God for our lives. That's why we need to connect in to find out what does please God? What is required? How can I be more like Jesus if I don't know what Jesus was like? It's no good relying on, well, so-and-so said this of Jesus. No, we need to know for ourselves. We need to know for ourselves so that we can live this out. And the Holy Spirit wants us to live in that way. And he's going to give us the power. It says he'll give us the power to live in a life that pleases him. All what we've got to do then is when, he give, when we know what the will of God is, when we know about him and we know what, um, what pleases God, we've then got to submit and obey to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and allow him to control us. And sometimes that's where we fall down because sometimes we think, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. I want to do it my way. But actually, when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead and control us, we find that we end up walking in a way that is pleasing to God. And what is the outcome of that? Well, verse 10 says, then your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Living a life that's holy and pleasing to God will only be a life that will cause us to flourish. It's a life that will cause us to bear good fruit. And do you know what the interesting thing is about fruit? 
Fruit doesn't grow for it to be consumed by the plant or the tree. An apple tree doesn't bear apples and then consume it itself. An apple tree actually provides nourishment to other people. So the fruit that's produced in our lives will be evidenced by other people. They'll see it and think, wow. So this fruit that becomes apparent as we walk in a way that's holy and pleasing to God will be tasted by other people. God's a very experiential God. And Psalm, I think it's Psalm 34, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How are people going to taste of him? Well, one of the ways they're going to taste of him is by tasting us. They're going to taste of us. What does our life look like? How has God changed our life? And all the while where we're bearing good fruit, the Bible says we're growing as we learn to know God better and better. We're always growing. There's always more for us to learn. We're going to continue to flourish. We're going to continue to grow in our lives. So in conclusion this morning, as we look at the beginning part of this prayer, we see that God wants us to have connection with him so that it transforms every area of our lives. Our hearts are changed and our minds are transformed. And that transformation of our mind as we begin to understand what the knowledge of his will is, as we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to show us how to practically outwork that in our lives is a beautiful thing. We begin to see our lives grow. We begin to see our lives produce fruit. And we also learn to know more about God. And we grow deeper and deeper into maturity with him. What an awesome, awesome thing that each one of us have. Each one of us have this for our lives. This is what God sets out for us. All we've got to do is choose to walk in it, choose to keep those connections strong so that we grow and flourish. I'm going to end by reading a verse from John 15, which really does just, just talk again about the importance of our connection with God and the way in which our lives will, will live out as a result of deep connection with him. Verse 4 says this of John 15, Remain in me, and I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our lives are connected to God. And to live in our lives, to see the power of this connection, we need to remain connected to God. You could be here today, you could be watching online. You've heard what I've said. And you say, Faye, I've never been connected to God. What does that mean? Well, connecting, being connected to God is about recognizing what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. It's about recognizing the fact that because God loves us so much that he sent his only son into the world to die on a cross, to take the sins of the world on his body so that we could have direct relationship with him. Free access, like a bridge, 
And to find that connection today, you don't have to jump through hurdles. You don't have to go on this voyage of discovery to find this connection. No, the Bible says all we have to do is place faith in his name. Believe on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So you may be here today and you say, well, I've never connected to God. I, I, I know I haven't experienced this transformation on the inside. So I would love, if you're here today, I would love to lead you in a prayer that will connect you with Jesus. And this prayer is simple. You can say something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me so much that you would lay your life down for me because I need a savior. I mess things up all the time. My life's going in a direction that I don't like. I'm a sinner. I'm making mistakes all the time. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and taking my sin on the cross with you. I believe that you are real, Jesus, and I ask you to come into my life today. If you prayed that prayer, you have made the best decision of your life. And our encouragement for you today would be for you to make a decision for that connection to continue. If you've not got a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. And along with a Bible, we've got a magazine filled with stories of people just like yourself who have made this decision and seen God do amazing things in their lives. So if you're in the building today on your way out, you can pick one of those up. And if you're watching online, why don't you drop us a message and we will get one of those sent out to you. And for your next steps, we would just encourage you to get involved in a church Get involved in a local church that can see and help you grow. And remember, this isn't about you change, and this isn't about you becoming like an, a completely different person um, and growing in maturity tomorrow. This is a journey we're all embarking on. Salvation is immediate. Your heart is transformed today. But we're all on a journey of discovering and becoming more like Jesus. And this is, this is a life's work for us all, to grow in the knowledge of him and his will and to be able to live out what, um, what he has for us. And you may be here today as a Christian, and what I've said has kind of caused you to think, and you thought, do you know what? Yeah, I've had a real experience with Jesus. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't really feel like I've got power for living. I don't really feel like I've grown much and that I'm living in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to God. Well, the great thing is, again, that connection is so simple to establish. That connection is so simple for us to walk in Let's start off by discovering about the will of God through his word. Pray to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, will you help me? Will you help me uncover the truths of your word? I want to know more about your will because I want to know how I can walk in a way that would be pleasing unto you. And the great thing is for all of us, we're all on this journey together. We're all on this journey of growing and becoming complete and mature in him. So just want to encourage you today, we've got an exciting journey ahead of us. Each one of us, as believers in Jesus, his plan for us is for us to grow. His plan for us is for us to produce fruit. His plan for us is to walk in his abundant life. That's for all of us. So be blessed today, and we're just going to worship before um, we close the service. God bless you. Mm -hmm.